He who saves one life saves the world entire. And the most important life to save is your own. After all, it's the place where you have the most power. So join shadow worker and trauma therapist Laura Giles each week on It's Not You, It's Me. We'll uncover what's in shadow and learn the things you need so you can heal yourself, grow yourself, know yourself, love yourself, be yourself, and share yourself. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, it's time to drop the self-sabotage and limiting beliefs. A healthy, abundant, connected life is an option. Choose it. Subscribe. And let's start manifesting it. Hi, welcome to Surviving to Thriving, a weekly podcast where earthlings can come to learn about surviving to thriving by creating meaningful, connected, relational lives naturally. I'm your host, Laura Giles, and I'm here today with a guest, Adam Hart. Adam is an international speaker and best-selling author whose mission is to help busy parents transform their quality of life and develop deeply connected relationships with their partners and children. Focusing on nervous system regulation, energetic attraction, and natural holistic wellness practices, Adam leads a group-based coaching program with his six-step Unleash Your Energy process for living aligned to the best versions of ourselves possible. Welcome, Adam. Yeah, thank you, Laura, for having me. Appreciate it. Sure. I was really intrigued about your story. You describe yourself as going from a former pre-diabetic, overweight couch potato to where you are now. So can you tell us about how, how did you get there? How, what, what brought you to that lifestyle? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up um, in a major city center, Toronto uh, in Canada, and was living the lifestyle that you know society tells us we uh, should go after, which is, you know, make make. Uh, get get the 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 education get right. the job get the yeah. house get the you know the fancy whatever and it, it just got me to a point where I was um I was suffering uh with occupational burnout and suffering with depression anxiety I was overweight I was diagnosed pre-diabetic I was on ADHD medication you know so my my health was really in a bad spot and I didn't know what to do. And I kept looking at solutions in terms of what, again, what my friends would say or what my right. doctors would say. And, you know, none of them let, led to me feeling any better. Um, you know, whether that was another diet that always left me frustrated or, or another fitness program. But um, I got very lucky and I discovered a sport that changed my life and and gave me access to a deeper understanding of my own potential in terms of my mental and physical wellness. And uh, that was rock climbing. How did you fall into that? Well, I was, uh, I was with a friend. We were, we were in Toronto, just, you know, wondering what can we do here? We are in our mid twenties. We're both uh, a little bit unhealthy or a lot unhealthy. And we just were walking around and we saw this indoor climbing gym and we looked at each other and said, yeah, let's go in there and just try this out. And, you know, I, I definitely had a fear of heights at the time and, and dealing with anxiety. The first time I ever went climbing inside, I, I had a panic attack halfway up the wall. But 
there was something that happened that I realized was a little different from anything else I've ever done. I mean, there was, there was something, even though I was in a state of anxiety around it, there was also a state of peace for a moment in terms of my own mental chatter and the number of thoughts that I have every day that were just, you know, perpetually poking at me and, and creating frustration. All of a sudden, when I was climbing, there was these moments of peace. And that's when I realized, wow, there's something about this sport that's allowing me to feel peaceful, but also supporting my ability to to heal in terms of what what my mental state was at and also physical. And so I just dove all in on on rock climbing at that point. I think it's really interesting because you said you were in your mid 20s and I wouldn't think that a lot of people in their mid 20s would even have the focus, maybe the awareness that, okay, my life is out of control. This is not how I want to go. And then to find that moment and be like, okay, let this be a turning point is, I don't know, I find that unusual. Do you? <laughs> in well, your work, do you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I know that I just got to such a low point that, and I think this does happen a lot is when you do hit your rock bottom there's there is the surrendering that allows a light to show up and i just i i got very fortunate that my low point you know i, I remember i walked out of my doctor's office with another prescription this time it was for high cholesterol yeah. medication and i was and i was just in in my car feeling so so upset about where i had gotten to and was wondering, you know, that whole contemplation of life of, of like, okay, so I guess this is just it. I guess I have to just, you know, I have to just let go of trying to figure this all out. And, you know, there was a surrendering moment that I think is pretty common in, in that rock bottom scenario that does provide a flash of light to show up. And, you know, again, I just got very lucky that the flash of light was a strong one in terms of a recognition of how much I could actually work with my own biology outside of what society was telling me in a way that I could use that spark of light and teach myself to grow it and start to own it as how I got to live. So I think it happens a lot to folks when you get into your, maybe your forties or fifties, you know, after you've had a lot more life experience, right? Um, you know, and by then you already have so many responsibilities, whether it's kids and the, the house and the, you know, you need to pay the bills so you can't leave your job. And so then you're, you know, then you're in a really a hard place to navigate from. And again, I got lucky that it happened in my twenties and I could afford to, you know, overhaul my life to figure this out. But there are, there is a process. And, you know, as I mentioned before the show, you know, I, I, I have this six step uh, process that I discovered that does fit for anybody, you know, and I'm, I'm 50 now and, the way that I work with my my life is I still work with these six steps that make it easy to start to tune into our own source of light in a way that we don't have to overhaul our lives to get there. We don't have to sacrifice all our time to figure this out. We don't have to, you know, think about restrictions. It's all a matter of, well, what can I start to add in that will lift my mental focus a little bit, increase my motivation a little bit and allow my body to start to, to feel, you know, a little more energy flowing through it. 
And I think it's just an important time for all of us to know that that's a possibility. So I want to hear about the six steps, but before we get there, I, I don't want to forget this. So um, you said you were overweight in your rock climbing. Yeah. I imagine that was pretty challenging too. How, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, how, for people who are in that kind of situation, um, any advice for them to, to try something like that and then to keep going after the first attempt? Yeah. I mean, I, there is definitely the mental construct of our own appearance, you know, weight being one of those where the mind will start to feed off of the stress response to how we look. And it often holds us back from trying things. And, uh, you know, if we're not mindful of how our own mindset functions around these things, we'll never, we'll never find the space to move into places that are a bit uncomfortable and the fear will block us from from that. So it's all about the mindset. And, and for me, I recognized pretty quick that, yeah, my mind was trying to use climbing as a source of stress and starting to loop thoughts about, oh, look at you, you can't really do this and you're no good at this and you, you know, you're just a loser and you should, you should stop. And, but I was again at that moment where I was like, no, I'm not listening to this voice in my head anymore. I'm, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep working at it. I'm going to you know, because there, again, there was moments of it where I recognized I could control my mind. I could actually work with my own thoughts in a way where I could reset them when I was climbing in ways that nothing else ever gave me access to. And so I, you know, this is a large part of anybody who's feeling that down and out, you know, space in their lives right now is the mindset is very difficult to to push through because the brain loves to hold us comfortable in that space. But if we know how to reset our own stress response, you know, if we really know how to work with our own nervous system and teach the brain to not use those thoughts, you can push yourself into the most amazing experiences. And that's what I discovered that I was able to do. And is this the same thing as your 33 second biohack for anxiety? Yeah. And so that's where that comes from. The, the, you know, step in the six step process. And I, I know we'll dive into some of these steps, but if anybody wants access to that, I, I do have that free download for anybody who, who this resonates. You can grab it on my website, which is clearimpact.io, clearimpact.io. And it's the lays it all out for you. But the, the second step in that process is that breath practice. It's a 33 second okay. breath practice that I discovered from rock climbing. And it allows you to reset your own fight or flight, anxiety inducing, fear inducing thoughts and bring yourself back to a peaceful, calm state where you have more power and more focus and more motivation. And uh, it, it, it's something that you can do in less than a minute. So, I, you know, when I discovered it in climbing, I, I was like, wow, there's something I'm doing here that biologically is is helping me feel happy, is helping my body heal the inflammation and heal the hormonal imbalance. And as I learned more of the science behind what I was doing in climbing, I realized, wow, so this anxiety that I'm feeling in everyday life when I'm with my kids and they're fighting and I want to try and control that, or, or if I, if I get an email that, you know, doesn't go the way I'd like it to go or something on social media triggers me, it's like, I have an ability now to reset my own response to those in this moment of life, not tomorrow when I'm meditating in the morning for 20 minutes, which is great, but that's, that's not what this is. This is, mm -hmm. this is instant access to our power in the moments we need it most.
Okay, so we got to go back and talk about the first step then. What's yes. before that? <laughs> well, step number one is noticing the patterns, right? So on average, we have 70,000 thoughts a day. And I know, you know, my mind was stuck in looping pattern ways of thinking about my life. And most of those patterns come from childhood experiences when, you know, when we experience stress as children, the brain is learning. It's like a computer system that's learning algorithms. The brain is such a beautiful organ, but yet it is a survival organ. And so it's, it, it, it's constantly wanting to be fed energy. Now, what we don't know is human beings is we don't realize that the number one source of energy for our brain predominantly comes from our hormones. And that's, there's two main ones, cortisol, which is our stress hormone and adrenaline. These come from the fight or flight stress response. And so the brain learns from a young age, which thoughts it can produce that are going to create a reaction. And so as we have these childhood experiences that we're not very happy with, whether we get yelled at, whether we're bullied at school, whether it's our first breakup, whether we're not feeling connected with our parents, whatever the scenario is, the brain is learning which ones are creating an adrenaline response. And so we start to have these self-esteem and self-worth and shame and guilt feelings because of the way the brain is utilizing those 70,000 thoughts when we're children. Nobody's teaching us how to teach the brain to let go of that, right? It's not a matter of Okay, let's, and I'm not knocking counseling and therapy and medication, but this is what I went through as a child, but none of it helped because my brain was still locked into using these thoughts in a pattern way. And I didn't know that I can train my brain to let go of those. And so this is called regulation, being able to regulate your own stress response. Now it's also this idea that we don't have an environment around us where we have others who can help co-regulate us. We don't have parents growing up who know how to regulate their own response to stress and thus providing a space of co-regulation for the children. That's where children feel safe and feel loved. It's from the energy of the nervous system of their main caregivers. That doesn't happen. We grow up with these patterns around how we feel about ourselves that get locked in. And then as we enter into adulthood, now the brain starts to recognize, oh my God, look at all these other beautiful sources of stress I can use. Like, so for when we enter adulthood, we have four main themes that our thoughts start to loop around. And that's our health, mental and physical, our relationships, our finances and our career. And so as we experience little bits of stress around those, the brain again locks in and says, okay, I can start looking at your career, your work in a way that I'm going to produce thoughts that create a reaction or your relationships with your partner. And so if we don't know that this is how the brain is operating, we are left in a state where we're running off of these pattern ways of reacting to life. The thoughts are creating what we feel is who we are in our lives. And yet we're working at a fraction of our capabilities because we're giving all our hormonal distribution to the brain in a way that leaves us with a lot of symptoms mentally and physically. And so we step one in this process is we need to recognize that we are not our minds. We're not the 70,000 thoughts that are being produced every day. And if we can start to recognize the patterns and how we think about ourselves and about these themes of our lives, we can start to work with those in a way that creates more space for something different to become our reality. Okay. And what's step three? So, now, you've, you know, when you start to map out 
what thoughts you recognize are disrupting. Now you start to work with the, the breath practice, the 33 second, it's called heart flow. And now you start to work in the moments of your life where those thoughts are, are being produced. And you begin to teach your brain to let go of the use of those triggering thoughts. And right away, you start to feel this beautiful, calm space showing up in your life. And that's where you get to start to use step three, which is you get to start to play around now with this new space in a way where you can choose a different way to feel. So now you know, okay, I've been so frustrated about my partner. And every time I'm, I'm around them, I, I feel resentment. I feel frustration. And I feel, I feel like they don't, they don't hear me. You know, these are, these are parts of a lot of what my, my clients, when they come to me, especially as parents, are experiencing. And so when you recognize your brain is using your partner as a trigger, you can breathe into that space, create some new, new energy. And step three is then you have to start to feel into the way that you would like the experience to be. So in that same moment, you start to create an energy of what does a loving, nourishing, connected relationship actually feel like for you? And producing that emotional energy so that that's what you can start to create around you. It's the manifestation side of this thing is recognizing that your nervous system is the portal to what you're manifesting and it's coming from your dominant emotions. And so we want to play around with the vibration of our emotions in a way where we can see things showing up in a way where we can have it the way we want versus in the ways that we don't want, which is where most of us are stuck living our lives. So that's step three is getting in touch with some emotions based off of how you do want to feel. And that takes some work because most of us don't know what that is. We've been so patterned to focus on what we don't want for so long. We don't even realize that there's space for us to start to play with you know, emotions of more joy, more nourishment, more loving connections. And so that's step three. And then step four is learning to, to grow that. How do you now, what I call the activation of this? How do you continue to grow that so that that becomes your dominant frequency? That becomes the dominant place you get to live your life from. And the more your brain is learning to let go of triggering thoughts, the more space starts to show up for you to live in that. And then step six is, is the optimization phase. And then this is where now, you know, you have a stronger foundation. Your nervous system and your brain are working in a more cohesive, loving relationship. Now you can look at your sleep, your nutrition, your movement, your human connections around you, your environment, and you can see all those other areas of holistic wellness and you can start to add some beautiful things in that support all of those areas. But we tend to have it backwards where we're focusing on our nutrition or our, our fitness or maybe our sleep, and yet our foundation is still disruptive and it's really difficult to have any sustainable results in our nutrition or our fitness or our sleep if our hormones are still off and our inflammation is still high and our brain is still running amok with tons of thoughts that don't serve us. So once we get that on side, then we can start to look at all those beautiful areas and life becomes a whole lot more enjoyable. Yeah, I love what you're saying because I think a lot of people don't realize that these are things that can be learned and I think a lot of people don't realize, I mean, if this is all you know, then it can be all you think there is. And I think anybody, like you're saying, can have a wonderful, fulfilling, 
relationship in life. Well, it's not it, all that tricky. <laughs> well, it's not. It's just a matter of recognizing that we are natural beings. We have yeah. we have this beautiful biology that you know ha- comes from evolution, and we've just lost our ability to adapt to modern society in terms of the amount of stress that our bodies and minds are put under, and. If we just self-identify with all these thoughts that come up and we be, we, we live these stories that our mind creates, well, you're 100% going to be a fraction of who you really want to be. And you yeah. know it because you, you feel a lack of fulfillment. You feel like there's something more. I should, be, I, should, I, should, I should have more in terms of contribution to others and to, to, to life, you know, and this idea of purpose and you know, that's, that's a major symptom that, that comes from being lost in your own thoughts. And when we learn to navigate that and teach the brain to feel safe and feel loved through the nervous system, you start to live from that rest and digest the parasympathetic state and versus that fight or flight. And when you, when you optimize your parasympathetic nervous system, that's where you have space to feel the best that you can possibly feel. And start to manifest more opportunities to help others to feel that as well. And that's where purpose really, uh, really gets, uh, gets more fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I saw on your website, I think it was, is uh, that you say prioritize yourself the same way you prioritize others. And I think that's a hurdle for why people don't do this is because they have so many other demands. How did you get there? Yeah, you know, and that's that's definitely a form of self-sabotage is always putting your energy into serving others uh, without, you know, it's this idea of putting on your own mask first on the on the plane versus um always looking after everybody else. There's a way to do this where you don't have to sacrifice your own energy to be in service to others, but it has to come from a regulated nervous system. It has to come from a nervous system that's that's nourished. And that's what the six, the six steps teaches you to do. Because when you, when you learn to live with a calm nervous system and your brain is optimal, so you're actually thinking cleaner and clearer and more motivated, you're actually able to show up for others in a way where you can help co-regulate them. You can provide them a space to feel your peace and calm in a way where they recognize, wow, there's something about you that is very pleasing to be around that's very calming to to be in in a relationship with and it's because you're holding space to actually hear them and be with them without your own mind creating a disruption in that exchange and it took me a long time to understand this but it is the ultimate feeling of fulfillment to be in the presence of another person knowing that you're holding your own space internally for self-love that is then providing them with the ability to feel the, the possibility of that being what they could have as well. And, uh, they took it for me, it took years of, of training this into me, like my, just training my own biology. And, you know, there's this term out there called biohacking, which essentially is this idea of just being able to change your own biology without having to rely on the system, the medical system or educational system or whatever system we have the tools and the knowledge out there for us to work with our own biology in the most beautiful ways and learning to to add some things in that allow you to 
to speed up the process so that it's not so arduous, doesn't take up, you know, hours a day to tap into. It, it took me hours and hours and, and years and years to figure out. But, you know, with again, like this idea of the six steps, that's not what you have to go through. Now it's just a matter of, okay, I'm going to commit to practicing these two or three things. They're not going to take more than five, 10 minutes a day to implement. And I'm going to start to feel more peace, more calm, more lightness. And I think we're at a point in society where we need to learn to adapt to the amount of stress we're under. And this is a really easy way to start to do that. Yeah. I think that it's definitely a shortcut to follow the path of someone who's already done it. So thanks for joining us on Surviving to Thriving. If the podcast is inspiring or helpful, please subscribe and leave me a comment to let me know what you found most helpful in today's podcast. You can write a comment below or go to letitgonow.net and hit the microphone to leave a voice message. So I listen to them all. So thank you guys. Thank you, Adam. And I'll see everybody next week. Ciao. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help the podcast thrive, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Laura Giles, you can follow her on all her socials at Laura Giles 804. See you next time.